Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today uh, and learning for this entire week is dedicated by the Torah Center founders, Michael and Joseph God and their families, dedicated in loving memory of their father, Naftali ben Leah, the Nisan God, Alema Shalom. Please join us in sponsoring uh, daily, monthly, weekly, yearly, monthly, whatever you'd like to do, decadely, uh, centurily, millenniumly, uh, our Torah, so we could spread the Torah as far and as wide as is possible. Uh, Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated for the complete refuah shalema of Chana Batzimafega and Eliyahu Shimon ben Mazal Fortune. We should be zocheh to see refuah shalema karov mamash. The week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your unwavering commitment doing good for the state of Israel and for others around you during these challenging times today and every day. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated as a zechut for Natan Chai ben Karen Rivka. Alava Shalom, an eight-year-old Sadiq who was tragically taken from Am Yisrael. Uh, he would always make others smile and say, if you're happy, I'll be happy. And he was obsessed with the coming of the Mashiach, and we now feel how badly we need Mashiach. Please do one good thing for his neshama. May Hashem give strength to all who are lucky to know him, sponsored by loving admirers and supporters of the family. Natan Hai Ben Karen Rivka Alava Shalom. Please only say amen if you're listening to this live. Baruch Ah, delicious. Okay. Of course, we'd also like to thank uh, Stephen Batesh for sponsoring uh, our coffee through French Press in Lakewood. Hazaku Baruch, the coffee is delicious and allows us to keep our eyes open while boring teachers such as myself uh, take you guys on a journey every day. Okay, let's begin. My friends, the Pasuk says, Vidatem ki ani amonai. Hashem says to Moshe, Moshe, come with me. Bo el paro, come with me. Let's go to paro together. Let's convince him to let the Jewish people out. Because you have no idea what I've got in store. I don't know, I'm a weird person. I kind of imagine, I know that Hashem has no body parts. I get it. But like when the Torah kind of uses those expressions in order to kind of help us understand that God took the Jews out with a mighty hand, doesn't mean that he used his hand. So I kind of imagine, like, just like there's a metaphysical strong hand, right? And an outstretched arm that God took the Jewish people out. I kind of imagine that when Hashem said this to Moshe, he's like, come to Paro. I have so many makot, so many things up my sleeve that I'm going to do to Paro. I just imagine that God had metaphysical jazz hands. I don't know. Maybe that's just in my mind. But I just imagine that Hashem was like, okay. And he said to him, let's go. And what will happen when we do all these wonderful wonders, these miracles to Paro, and you will know that I am Hashem in the midst of the earth. Our rabbis point out that there are three distinct levels of faith and belief that were being driven into the Jewish consciousness at this point in history. And what are those things? Number one, that there is a God. Number two, that that God is all-powerful. And number three, that that God is present. Bekerev Ha'aretz. These three things are the underpinnings of each of the three makot that are going to come in the, uh, in the end of this parasha in Va'era, the seven that we have here and the three that we have in parasha Bo. They were meant, they were designed to be communicating these three ideas. The first set of makot 
that I am God. The second set of makot, that there's no one else but me, there's no other power that could challenge me. So it's not just that I'm God, but it's also that there ain't nobody else. Kind of like the first two commandments in the Aseret Adibrot, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Lo There's a lot of people that believe in God. They just don't believe in God exclusively. Once upon a time, that was called polytheism. You believe in God and Yeshu, Jesus. You believe in God and Buddha. You believe in God and whatever the heck else you believe in. Multiple gods, multiple deities, a god of the rain, a god of the sun. And you know what? There's plenty of space for me in my God cabinet. Hashem's allowed to have a place there too. That's what many people who had a polytheistic, again, monotheistic is one god, polytheistic is many gods, okay? They believed in many gods and many forces. That's what the Egyptians believed in. So God said, number one, I'm here. I'm real. I exist. Number two, I have a power that no one else can challenge. There, is, there isn't any other power that can stand up to me. Literally translated, that means there should not be for you any other gods. But today, you know, you're lucky. In today's society, back then they had many gods. Today you're lucky if you have one. You have a huge amount of this world who's atheist, right? You're lucky to believe in somebody. You know, to have one god is a big deal. But my friends, what we don't realize is that many of us, while we think we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that we believe in one God. We actually believe in many gods. I know that that sounds weird, because you haven't prayed to anybody else. You're not going in between Shacharit and Mincha to some other prayer service. So what do we mean when we say that? What are we trying to communicate? Uh, with this idea, Vidatem, Kiani, and you will know that I am Hashem, your God. What are we saying? The Gemara tells us a very interesting thing. Moshe comes to Paro. And as the music plays, he's like, Aaron. Again, I'm just imagining, this is my imagination. I don't know why, it's like a stage whisper in my mind. He's like, Psst, Aaron, now, now. <laughs> Throw the, do the thing, do the thing with the stick. Like, I just imagine, and Aaron's like, now? I thought after. He's like, no, now, okay. Aaron takes the staff, throws it on the ground. And what happens? Becomes a snake. I imagine Moshe's like, Huh? Huh? How you like me now? That's, again, I don't know that this is true. This is how I imagine it. And Paro is like sitting there, like not impressed at all. He gives a sign to his khartumim, says the pasuk, to his, uh, uh, his magicians. And they all throw their staffs down. And all of their staffs turn into snakes. I kind of feel like that was a low motion moment for Moshe and Aaron. They're like, oh no. <laughs> Right? But then the Gemara says something amazing. The Pasuk says something amazing, but the Gemara adds on to what the Pasuk is saying. The Pasuk says, and Moshe and Aaron's staff swallowed up all the other, all the other snakes. Okay. Moshe is like, okay, Baruch Hashem, save that one. Ours is still better than theirs. The Gemara says that that's not what happened. The snake of Aaron did not swallow the other snakes. It's not what happened. Rather, the staffs, the sticks of the hartumim, which had turned into snakes, reverted back into their original staff form. Aaron's staff reverted back into 
Aaron's staff form, and then the staff that Aaron had thrown swallowed the other staffs. Says the Gemara, Nes betoch Nes. A miracle within a miracle. Now I was thinking about this a while ago, and I was thinking, that's a strange thing to happen. Why would God do that? Why was it necessary to have this Nes betoch Nes? Why did you need a miracle in a miracle here? What was the, the extra? Why was that? What did that prove? And there's different ways of understanding it. I don't know if you've ever watched a magic show, but one of the staples of a magic show is where the magician makes you think that they got the trick wrong. You ever see that? Like, okay, is this your card? And you're like, no, and they're like, oh no, it usually works. And then they turn the same card over, and it's your card, ah. You ever hear that, you ever see that? If magicians are designed, if magic, if wonder is generated where you're surprised, the more you're surprised, if I can convince you, not only that it's unlikely that I'll pull your card, but look, I got it wrong, now when I get it right, it's even more surprising, which makes the magic even more impressive. So first I thought, you know what, Hashem has some uh, showmanship, jazz, jazz hands. Look, it turned back into snakes, turned back into a sticks. The, tri the trick is over, and it failed. Our own man didn't manage to do anything. They didn't. And then the staff eats the other staffs. That's one way of understanding it. But my friends, I want to share with you the idea of the Hatam Sofer. The Khatam Sofer says, ki ani amonai. I want you to understand. Ani, I am Hashem. There is no other power. There is no other anything. If you see something happening to you, understand that's coming from me. If it's negative, it's also coming from me. If you don't understand it, it's also coming from me. If it doesn't seem fair, it's also coming from me. The Pasuk tells us, We talk about this in Teilim uh, Haf We say that a person turns to God and he says, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you're with me, so I'm not afraid of any evil. Your staff and what? Shiftecha. And your cane, they will comfort me. Chazal, tell us, what are we talking about? Your staff and your cane. Are those different things? What's the difference? A shevet is something that's used to be able to discipline, to hit. Shulamu HaMelech says, Roshech shivto soned meno. A person withholds the staff, he hates his child. It doesn't mean specifically hitting a kid. It means if you don't discipline your child, understand that's a parent who hates their child because the outcome of an undisciplined child is an undisciplined adult. And while you have small children are small problems, big children have big problems. Adults have biggest of all problems. So the idea of a shevet, shevet means discipline. 
Says the Pasuk, your discipline God. the cane, which you, you allow me to lean on you. God, you know what brings me comfort in this life? Not only when you let me lean on you, but that when I'm being punished, or when it feels like I was hit, I know that that isn't random. There's, it's not meaningless. That my pain has purpose. That there's a reason, there's a measurement, there's a point. I get comfort from both shiftecha umish'antecha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was giving Paro a lesson. He was teaching the Jews a lesson. Guys, all of it, it's all my staff. It's all my shevet. He turns the stick into a snake. And he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, throw the stick down. Go get it. Go chase after it. He chases after the snake. He grabs the snake. It turns back into a stick in last week's parasha. Remember? Why does God have Moshe doing magic tricks? Throw the staff down. Let it be a snake. Go grab the snake. Turns back into a stick. He's trying to communicate to Moshe. Everything is just my stick. It's all me. There's nothing else. You see a snake, see me. Understand that. He teaches it to Moshe. He teaches it now to Paro. He tells the 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 the, uh, the uh, magicians of Egypt. Even your stick is my stick. And look, it's going to be my stick that's going to swallow your stick, not my snake. My friends, I want to share with you an example of this. At the end uh, of the Jewish people's sojourn in the desert, we read about a time when they all get sick and they all have this plague of the snakes in the desert. And what does God tell Moshe? He tells Moshe, take a saraf, take a snake and put it on a, a stick and hang this, put this stick in the planted amongst the Jewish people, let them look up at the, sta- at the snake impaled by the stake. What is God telling the Jewish people? Again, the same lesson. Why are we so obsessed with snakes and stakes? The answer is because the stakes are very high. Because emunah is only achievable if a person is capable of understanding this exact point. That all the makot are Hashem. But not just the makot. The suffering was Hashem. The Egyptians were Hashem. Of course they get their own free will choice. And if they did not want to subjugate the Jewish people, it would have happened to somebody else. And they're going to be punished for it. And they were. But whether or not they could scratch a a fingernail Scratch, you know, take one hair off the head of a Jew. That was only if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would allow it to happen. Everything is my stick. Everything. I want to share with you a beautiful story. I love, always love this story. There's a rabbi, his name was... I can't remember his last name. Something with a hey. No, something with the faith. Ah, Refroind. He lived in, uh, I think it was Austria at the time. Anyway, the king really, really loved this rabbi. He gave wonderful advice. He calls him down to the, 
to the palace. And he says, I have a very special gift for you because of your stature. And he gives him this magnificent staff that was given only to the most important people in the kingdom. And at the top of the staff, what's there? A cross. The rabbi is terrified. What's he supposed to do now? The next time he's going to be called to the palace, he's going to have to come with this ceremonial gift. He can't be walking around with a cross as a rabbi. On the other hand, if he takes off the cross, he'll, he'll, he'll take off his head. Anyway, he's trying to figure out what to do, and eventually the rabbi says to himself, who do I fear more? Hashem or the king? The king or the king of kings? Like we read last week. Paro says to the midwives, kill every boy. And what do the midwives do? The opposite. They sustain them. They give them drink. They give them food. Why? Says the pasuk. They had a fear of God. It doesn't mean that they didn't have a fear of Pharaoh. But their fear of God was so strong that they understood that this is the problem. Hashem is the problem. Hashem is the one I need to fear. I need to worry about pleasing. Not Paro. If I please Hashem, it doesn't matter about Paro. I'll give you an example of this idea. The Chachamim bring a magnificent example of this idea. I want you to imagine you go to a hospital. And in the hospital, you're looking around, you're asking for a, a doctor for a specific ailment. They direct you to a specific floor. You're looking around. On the floor, they direct you to a specific office. In the office, you're directed to a desk. And there, standing in front of you or sitting in front of you, is a doctor world famous for dealing with this exact illness. Okay? You come to the doctor, you say, you know, I've been looking all over for you. I looked, searched through countries to find a doctor that was an expert in solving this illness, you know? And the doctor says, well, I'm glad you found me. He says, there was no one in my country. I had to fly here. There was no one else in this country until I found you. No one else in the whole hospital until I got to this desk. I'm so happy to be speaking to you. What do you think I should do for my illness? And the doctor says, I'll tell you. The illness that you have, you know how you heal it? No. He says, you wait, it goes away by itself. He says, no medicine? He says, nope. He says, no surgery? Nope. No, no treatment? Nope. I just, I just wait, goes away? Nothing happens? Nothing happens. Any of you have a follow-up question? What's your follow-up question? <laughs> Who are you? What are you? What do you do? Why are you the doctor specializing in this that does not require a doctor? You have a tag on you. It says doctor of, of a thing that, you, that doesn't need to be solved, that there is no solution to. What do you do? When you wake up, where do you go? Let's revisit. Miriam and Yocheved have a name tag. What does it say? Midwife of Jews. They call them in, and she says, uh, the paro says, listen, I have a job for you. And they're like, yes, sure. Uh, are you the midwives of the Jews? Yes, we're the midwives of the Jews. 
says, okay, I have a job. You got to kill all the, the Jewish boys. And they say, absolutely, your, uh, your, your excellency. No problem. <laughs> Mission received. They disappear. They don't kill anybody. They give them food. They come back. Paro's like, what happened? And the ladies are like, well, you know, the Jews, uh, you know, they don't even come to the hospital. They just give birth at home by themselves. Um, they don't need a midwife. Chayot hena. One second. So they don't need midwives. None of the Jews. No, none of the Jews. What do you do? Like you're called the Mialedot. What does that mean if you don't do anything? Now, I have a follow-up question to my follow-up question. What did Miriam and Yochevet think Paro would say when they told him, we, you know, they just give birth by themselves, so we don't really do anything? Liars. You know what the answer is? When you're more afraid of Hashem, it doesn't make a difference what you need to tell Paro. It doesn't matter what your excuse is. It doesn't matter if it holds water. The rabbi thinks to himself, I'm not doing this. If it means that he's going to chop off my head, let him do that. But with God, I'm not starting up. He chops off the, the cross from the top of the thing. Anyway, he walks into the court. You could just imagine everyone in the court's murmuring. The king sees him and he says, Rabbi, what'd you do with the cross? And the rabbi looks at the, uh, the king and he takes a deep breath. He looks up and he says, your majesty, he says, you were kind enough to grant me this beautiful ornamental staff. He says, but look at me, I'm very short. And the staff that you gave me is very big. So I just cut off the top because it was way above my head. So the king looks at, at the rabbi, he says, so why did you cut off the bottom of the staff? And the rabbi says to him, your majesty, you're not understanding. The bottom was perfect. It hit the floor. It was the top. And the king says, oh, okay. And he accepts the most ludicrous answer that's ever been put forward in the history of answers. As they would say in the news, since records began. <laughs> Dumbest answer since records began. And he takes it. Uh, Your Majesty, we can't kill the boys because us midwives, when we get there, they don't need midwives, ever. None of them. So why? Liars. How are you midwives? Dumbest answer ever. It doesn't matter. You see, they understood they didn't need to be afraid of him. They needed to be afraid of him. And when you're afraid of him and you approach it that way, then the answer or the excuse doesn't matter. The problem doesn't need to be solved. You know why? Because he's the problem and he's the solution. The problem was only a challenge to ask of you whether you knew that he was the problem and he was the solution. So God says to Moshe, throw your staff down, it's going to become a snake. Now grab the snake, understand it's not a snake. It's all my mate. Your job is Hashem's mater. 
A lot of times we're trying to figure out if we have to cut from the bottom or cut from the top. But my friends, none of that matters. If you know you need to cut off the cross at the top because you're Jewish and you can't have that, everything else will work itself out. And you don't need a good excuse and you don't need a good lawyer. Pardon my... The Chatam Sofer says that's what the Gemara was trying to teach us. Nes betoch nes. It was a miracle in a miracle. Because sometimes just one miracle is not enough. Sometimes when the stick turns into a snake, you forget that the snake is really Hashem's stick. And the snake swallows all the other snakes. Oh Baruch Hashem, I made a big snake. We can't lose focus. We need to stay in the zone. Understand. It's all HaKadosh Baruch Vidatem ki ani amonai. My friends, we've talked a lot about this idea that the Jewish people had to go down to Egypt. We talked a lot about the fact that Avram says, how will I know that my children will inherit the land? And God says, you should know they're going to go down to Egypt. That means that the answer to Avraham's question by the covenant, when Avraham was making the covenant with God, his question was, how will I know that my children will inherit it? And God's answer is, you should know. After that, I'm going to judge that nation. And they're going to leave with a great inheritance. And they're going to go to Eretz Israel. That means that the, the question was, how will I know that the Jews will inherit the land? And the answer to that question is, they're going to be slaves in Egypt. That means that something was being achieved while they were slaves in Egypt. My friends, you know what that was? God needed to make the Jews feel that there was one power in the world. And what was that one power? Their masters, the Egyptians. He needed to consolidate all the powers in the world, in the eyes of the Jewish people, to one thing. And then do what with that one thing? Beat the ever-loving daylights out of that thing. You know, in all the films, when a guy goes to prison, what's the first thing he needs to do? Find the biggest, baddest, strongest, head of the worst gang in the prison, walk right up to him and sock him in the face. And you know what? If he survives that encounter, he'll be okay for the rest of his time in the joint. I have a lot of experience from when I was in the <laughs> joint and I beat up the neo-Nazi. Right? If you beat the strongest guy up over there and you know what happens? Everybody knows no one can touch you. You're the guy who's not afraid of what did God do? He took all of the nations in the world and he subjugated them to Egypt. Are you seeing what's happening? Through the famine, everyone needed to become slaves to Egypt. Everyone needed to come under their power. And then what did God do? He took the Egyptians themselves and he subjugated them to Paro. What was God doing? consolidating all the power to one person, to Paro. To Egypt, and through Egypt, to Paro. 
And then what does God do? And after 210 years of beating into the Jewish people, there's only one power, one power in front of you on earth. Who is it? Egypt and Pharaoh. What does God then do? In front of their eyes, in front of the eyes of everyone in the world, he brings Egypt to, the, to their knees. And what do the Jewish people do? It's interesting. See, many other times, the Jews play a very active role in the salvation that comes about. Like, why didn't God make the Jewish people have a miraculous war, like with the Maccabees against the Egyptians? Because the point of Egypt was a very different point than the point of Hanukkah. The point of Egypt was to get the Jews to realize that with not a finger lifted, the greatest power in the world would be reduced to nothing. ki ani amonai I am God. There is no power but me. And I am involved, and I am present, and I am paying attention. By showing that to Jews, by showing that to the world, God introduces himself to humanity. You want to know what the taking of the Jewish people out from Egypt was? It wasn't a personal, national salvation. It was God dropping a metaphysical business card. <coughs> I am God at gmail.com. My friends, that idea so long ago is present in every minute of every day. Because we think that we believe Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. But many of us actually believe in more than one God. We believe in God and ourselves. We believe in God and our boss. We believe in God and the American government. You know, Nikki Haley said something the other day. She said, it is not the case that Israel ever needed America. It has always been the case that America needed Israel. Now, if I were an atheist, I don't know if I would agree with Nikki. Israel needed American arms. Israel needed American support. Israel needed, Israel needed, Israel needed, but I'm not an atheist. So I get what she's saying. How many people are telling themselves, we need to be very careful that we don't lose American support. Is America somehow gematria God? Did I, did I miss that point? Did I miss that moment? Where we give power to Hamas, or to Islamic Jihad, or to Iran, friends or foes? Ain't nobody but him. The snakes are him. The staff is him. The miracles are him. The punishment is him. It's all him. If we can think that way, then we truly have learned that lesson. And what Abraham was promised all that time ago, that we come to the promised land, when we go through the Egypt experience, what God was saying to Abraham is, you're a believer. You want to know, how do you know that your children will be the same as you? That they will merit the promised land and its Israel. Both in terms of its physical space, but also in terms of its idea that they will achieve the promised land. Be believers. Be connected with God. Have a relationship with the divine. How will that be achieved? That will be 
achieved when they witness that their problems are only solved by Hashem. That, my friends, is why we have a miracle in a miracle. Hashem should bless us that in every single day of our lives we should turn to Him. We should live lives where we're not anxious or worried, where we're not kowtowing or kissing anyone's backside where we understand that everything in front of us is really a charade or a charade, depending on where you come from. It's all Him. It's all God. It's all Hashem's staff. And Hashem's staff will swallow the other staffs. Because all of it, it's all Hashem. May Hashem bless us to feel that, to experience that, and through that to have tremendous berachah in our lives, to have the difficulties disappear from our lives because once we've recognized that they are that they are him the difficulties have served their purpose we should be Hashem to be reunited with Natan Chai ben Karen Rivka with the coming of Mashiach Mehera Amen